Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods and practice. In this episode, guest host Sarah Shannon interviews Dr. Daniel Sui, Chair of the Department of Geography and Distinguished Professor of Social and Behavioral Science at The Ohio State University. Daniel has published extensively on the use of volunteer geographic information, as well as the use of social media as a new data source for geographic and social science research. He joins us to share his thoughts on the use of big data and their methodological challenges, as well as advantages. Today on the podcast, we're welcoming Dr. Daniel Sui. Dr. Sui, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You know, this phrase, big data, has received a lot of attention in recent years in the media and in academics. And I'm wondering if you were to introduce big data to an undergraduate class, you know, to people who've never heard of this phrase before, how would you describe what big data are? I would describe it as this, uh, uh, the, the new data that is available due to this uh, growing ubiquitous uh, computing environment uh, we are in right now. So, it doesn't matter where you look, whether the car you are driving, the, um, you, you know, the cookware you're using in your kitchen or the cell phone, everywhere you look, we are interacting with the computers. So each, uh, every move we make in our daily life, uh, we will leave some uh, a footprint in cyberspace. And that's the data that we leave in the cloud, uh, no matter what we do these days. So, so I would, let my students be aware that's the uh, the data stream each one of us, you and me, are creating in our daily life, uh, regardless of what we do. And how big is this stream? I mean, how much big data are out there? Yeah, the big data are generally uh, traditionally defined by the three B words, uh, the so-called volume, uh, variety, and uh, velocity. So volume refers to it's a vastness, this bigness. So according to one forecast, by the end of this year, it will be close to uh, eight uh, zettabytes. You can look it up. You're, I guess your audience can look it up. Uh, 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 you know, what is a zettabyte? Basically, it's a two to the uh, uh, 70 uh, power. <laughs> That's how big it is. And this has really grown in, in recent years, right? I mean, big data have just kind of exploded, right? Correct. And uh, according to Google, in fact, uh, the past uh, three years or so, we created uh, the, uh, the data that is equivalent to uh, uh, everything, all the data we created uh, in the previous years. So in other words, you know, we created uh, the bulk of the majority of the big data during the past uh, uh, three or five years. So you're saying in the last three to five years, we've created more data than we have basically in all of human history? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's the that's how staggering, uh, uh, you know, the how fast that we are creating data. And that we are, you know, still creating the data more you know, exponentially as we're moving forward. Right. And so we're all leaving, like you said earlier, these little footprints all over the cloud. And, all, and, and so what are some advantages to researchers of using big data? Yeah, the, I think for social scientists, the major advantages, is, uh, you know, traditionally, we work with small data, meaning 
that we have a, a, a sample of data. We follow them for a, a long time. One of the major advantage of the big data is, uh, you know, we are, you know, they, we, we are not, de- not simply dealing with a small sample. In most cases, we are dealing with the entire population. I think that's the, the, uh, one of the biggest ad- advantages. So we, we uh, are not dealing with a small sample of the population. We are dealing with the population, whatever we are interested in studying these days. Right. And, and what kinds of questions can big data answer or address? It really depends on the, uh, the domain. Uh, what is, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you can, uh, you can ask all different sorts of uh, uh, questions depending on uh, your interest. You know, whether you are in marketing, in social science uh, research, in tracking uh, uh, diseases. So again, the, 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 in terms of the applications of big data, it's limited only by uh, your imagination. That is why big data has attracted uh, interest by industry government agencies all over the world, and of course, uh, academic uh, scholarly researchers. Right, right. So you said limits are, are really our imagination, but are there other limits in dealing with big big data in terms of, you know, wrangling these data and, and processing it, or, or maybe questions that, it, it, that this type of data can't be used to answer? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Okay, I think uh, uh, one of the major uh, limitations is, especially um, from an academic researcher perspective, is uh, the access to the data. Because we know fake data exists, but that's that's not necessarily that um, academic researchers would access to all the data uh, that is out there. But even though if the, we have access, we really do not have the technological infrastructure to store, much less to really make a meaningful analysis for most of them. So one thing I would like to alert your audience is, uh, which represents a major shift in terms of uh, uh, political power in, in the data-related stuff is, uh, you know, for a long time, government is especially in the in the U.S. You know the uh, the government agencies have uh, traditionally have custodian of more data about the uh, citizens, you and me. But these days, it's the power is shifting to the private sector. It's a few you know IT companies such as uh, Google, Apple, or Facebook. They have collected a lot more data than the government uh, uh, has. So, and that's a major significant uh, game changer, uh, you know, for all data related analysis and the applications. Right. So, yeah. So you're saying that really where this data is coming from and who has possession of it has really changed in recent years from government to corporations. Correct. And according to Google, Google, to his credit, has uh, issued uh, like an annual transparency report in terms of uh, who has uh, requested uh, 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 data from them for what purposes. And I, I recall that last year, I think over 160 uh, countries, the governments in over 160 countries have worked uh, 
uh, with Google to do all the sorts of uh, Google, you know, data requests. But that's not necessarily the case for all of these companies that they have that level of transparency. Correct. Who knows, uh, for example, uh, what Facebook is doing with, uh, uh, let's say, National Security Agency with uh, all the data they have accumulated. Wow. Yeah, because uh, lots of government agencies, when they are dealing with the uh, the data in the name of uh, national security, they are not necessarily transparent to the public, and that, that's a major, you know, concern. As we have all learned, uh, the you know the tape of the at the iceberg, you know, from the WikiLeaks or from John Snowden's uh, interviews. Wow! Now I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We well, should be. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Well, let's get back to research. Let's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. think these scary thoughts. No, but so, what are some of the typical um, methodological approaches then to using big data? I think for. Um, Social scientists, I think the main thing in order to uh, uh, make use of the data, first of all, you know, they need to uh, know something about how you can get uh, access to it. So one of the commonly used uh, techniques to harvest or grab all this big data uh, from the web is through a web crawler. It's a similar technique that uh, uh, actually Google uses. They just do it at a much larger scale using more sophisticated, more powerful machines. But for academic researchers, we can develop a program because these days, a lot of uh, like a social media sites or application programs or websites, they have the API called Application Programming Interface. You know, through the API, you can develop uh, a, a web crawler to grab those data, to down, basically harvest or download the data, and then to do further analysis. Once you have those data uh, downloaded, then you can um, use uh, uh, y- you know, some of the more conventional uh, techniques, or there are some new analytical tools out there that you could use to do further analysis, modeling, or mapping, or doing all different kinds of visualization. Right. So it seems like there's multiple different applications in terms of visualizing, mapping, doing standard statistical techniques, but even maybe doing some textual analysis, some content analysis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's a part of the beauty of big data, because data traditionally only means uh, quantitative data, quantitative data. But but in the age of big data, it means uh, don't forget one of the Big V's is a variety. By variety, it means not only numbers or quantitative data, but also uh, photographs, texts, you know, like the all the blogs people have uh, written, textual uh, information, videos, and, uh, um, you know, everything that is, it could be eventually trans, uh, translated into digital form, they become a form of a data and, a, and thus a part of the, the, the big data stream that you can use and, uh, to, to for further analysis. Right. So it's not limited just to some kind of quantitative or qualitative divide, but actually techniques from across that spectrum could be used with, with big data. Absolutely. And uh, one of the, you ask the, like, what, one of the method, what are the methodological approaches out there to do uh, 
you know, the uh, big data analysis. And I have written a couple of pieces. A bit. So the, the major theme of, in terms of methodology is really to cross the quantitative and the uh, quantitative and the qualitative uh, uh, chasm that has been dividing social scientists, uh, uh, re social science research for a long time. So you these days you not only need the quantitative analysis, but also qualitative uh uh, analysis and in the end you need to put connecting the dots uh based upon the variety of data you have really to develop the narrative to tell your story uh so so that is why these days the so-called data curation or storytelling is uh, uh becoming more popular again as uh, uh one of the methodological approaches to deal with the big data stream Fascinating. And then it also seems to me that um, working with big data really lends itself to interdisciplinarity. I mean, I'm just thinking even on the computing aspect, you mentioned everything about culling data and APIs. I mean, I would have no idea as a sociologist where to start with that. So I might need then to connect myself with people in other disciplines, particularly, you know, computer science and, and other places that could help me deal with the, the, the data themselves, right? Yes, absolutely. I think the, and they need your domain uh, experts. For example, you, you know, sociologists have uh, known this phenomenon called the, the strength of weak ties for a long time, but they only tested using limited uh, sampled data, you know, through social networks. But with all this massive uh, data, computer scientists can collect through uh, like a web crawler uh, on the various uh, social media sites. Now they can test it from a much massive scale using big data sets. And, and you need those uh, technical skills, uh, you know, to, uh, you, you know, down to harvest all this data. In fact, one of my closest uh, collaborator is a faculty member at Texas A, Texas A&M in the computer science department. He specializes in social computing, you know, big data analytics, uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. These days, I think it requires uh, uh, interdisciplinary collaboration to do the projects using uh, big data set. Well, let's um, let's uh, bring it down here to, to talk about this stuff through the lens of a particular research study. So um, uh, a study that you did with a looks like a couple of collaborators at Texas A&M. Um, yeah, these are the folks, uh, the computer science uh, department. That Excellent. We, I just talked about. Yeah. Nice. So this piece was called Exploring Millions of Footprints in Location Sharing Services. Maybe just give us a brief introduction to the study. What were your research questions? Uh, what were you all interested in? Yes. You, you, you know, that's, uh, that's a good example. I'm glad you brought it up, but that's a good example of using, uh, uh, big data for social science, uh, uh, research. Because, uh, uh, as, uh, uh geographers, uh, uh, you know, I, we are, we have always been interested in the spatial temporal dynamics of a human mobility. Uh, and then we developed the geographers in the past, um, uh, two, de three decades also have developed all different sort of, uh, interesting, uh, analytical and conceptual framework for analyzing spatial, temporal, human mobility patterns, such as through the framework of the human, uh, the so-called time geography, uh, developed by the Swedish geographer Torsten Hagerstrand. Uh, but, 
but but the the time geography framework is an interesting conceptual framework. We most oftentimes we do not have the data to really empirically validate or verify some of their hypotheses. And with the uh, location-based social media, like like the location sharing services, we were able to. Uh, you know, put those frameworks into some meaningful empirical testing. So what we did in the article you just mentioned is we um, harvested. We again we developed uh, following the the, uh, the approach we just uh, uh, just outlined. We developed a web crawler. So we crawled uh, uh, um, the users of a Foursquare check-in because uh, they. The most users of Square check-ins they post their check-ins on Twitter. Tweet, by the way, Twitter is one of those social media websites that allows uh, open access. That you can, what which means that you can write uh, uh, an API to uh, uh, crawl their data to download the data for the specific uh, time period you are interested in. I think for the paper. You just mentioned about, gosh, I can't believe it's almost five years uh, now. Right. So yeah, we, we, we crawled the, the, the data, the Twitter full square checking data from, uh, the end of 2010 to, uh, like the middle of 2011, about six, seven months of data. So there are about, if I remember correctly, there were about, uh, 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 quarter million, 250,000, uh, uh, registered users, a total of 22 million check-in points. Okay, you know, so that's the di- big data part, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, for this, uh, once we got the the, the, uh, the data, we were able to uh, analyze their the, uh, the the their mobility patterns from both the spatial and the temporal perspective. So, what were some of the um... What were some of the findings, particularly in terms of a uh, social science perspective? What were some of the insights you were able to gain from from using these data? Yes, for example, one of the findings not surprising to us was uh, uh, sort of the power law of uh, uh, the travel patterns. You know, like like during our daily routines, uh, you know, everybody has a routine, you know, yeah. We are actually are defined by on a routine basis by defined where we are on a routine basis. Uh, you know, there's a very, for example, your 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 mobility pattern as a, a professor, uh, like you and me, is very predictable. The way way your daily routine deviates from that. You know, there, you, you know, that, that there's a signal of uh, a behavioral change then for further analysis. But for most of the uh, the populations we studied, which our findings are consistent with other uh, massive, uh, you know, social science studies about human mobility patterns, that uh, the majority of us have a very predictable daily uh, mobility pattern, and that is uh, that kind of information can be very useful, you know, for planning for emergency management, you know, for situations like emergency management. Right, because then you can sort of predict where people are going to be and at what what times of day, and knowing where sort of some hot spots for activity may be. Absolutely, think about uh, the utility of that kind of finding for 
uh, for retailers, you know, from a marketing perspective, or transportation planner in terms of uh, controlling uh, uh, a traffic jam, you know, for uh, to direct the traffic flow. Uh, so, and also, in you know, if you're a, a, a health researcher interested in uh, healthy communities, so you can use those uh, findings to uh, direct uh, uh, the general uh, public how they can balance their uh, uh, motor vehicle-based mobility versus uh, more uh, physical, you know, uh, uh, walking, you know, uh, uh, more physical activities are building into their daily routine. Right. And of course, for me, as someone that studies crime, I think about all the implications for, you know, crime in terms of predicting where it may occur. I mean, I know there are already people working on this in various ways, but I could see how, how accessing this type of big data could really um, yeah. bring about more insight. Yeah, absolutely. So since you were bringing up the topic of crime, actually, that's a remind me, actually, uh, LAPD has... <clears throat> developed some very sophisticated program based upon people's uh, behavioral uh, patterns, again, using big data analytics. So they called, uh, so, so right now, one of the major controversy is the so-called pre-crime uh, 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 prediction, meaning for certain individuals, you know, based upon their daily, you know, routine uh, uh, behavioral patterns, they can, you know, nowadays the police authorities can make a, a reasonable prediction in terms of uh, uh, crime before it happens. So now the dilemma is what action, if any, the police, uh, uh, the authorities should take in the interest of the public and also in the interest of this uh, presumed innocent criminals. So that's a, an interesting dilemma. It seems like big data really raise a lot of these kinds of ethical questions, right? Not just about privacy and using the data in and of itself, but also, you know, yeah, what should we do with the things that we find? And are there cases where perhaps the data just shouldn't be utilized? Correct. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's another sort of interdisciplinary approach we need to take uh, for big data. Uh, applications, uh, you know, they, uh, it's not no longer simply to get the data, do the analysis of the technical part, but also to critically examine the uh, social, political, legal, ethical uh, implication. And also more broadly, it's also changing the power relationship in, uh, in society. Right. And that, that's, you're right. It's, it sounds to me like a real sweet spot for uh, social scientists to really be able to lend that kind of sort of um, ethical uh, analysis to the, to the picture. Absolutely. I think that's uh, uh, in the big data uh, age, I think that's the, one of the most important contributions that social, uh, social sciences can make. And that they needed to, uh, uh, to get involved in the conversation to get their voice heard. Right. And so what about issues um, just in dealing with big data like generalizability and validity? I mean, I know you mentioned earlier that oftentimes you're dealing with a total population, but, but it strikes me that there are likely some demographic groups that aren't up on Twitter so much or, or doing some of these location services, maybe, you know, minority groups and, and et cetera. So, so what do you see as being some of the, the limitations to what big data can and can't tell us about different 
groups within society? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have to uh, bear in mind that, uh, uh, you know, be, you know, data, uh, big data have, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, from a broad, in the broader scheme of things, is a bias the population or bias the sample to begin with. And, uh, you, you know, we, it's very dangerous if we, we only draw a conclusion based upon big data or develop a policy, uh, develop policies exclusively based upon the availability of big data, because you are absolutely right. The digital divide, you know, is still uh, a, a serious problem uh, at the different levels. It doesn't matter. Uh, we are talking about uh, developing countries like North America or Western Europe or developing countries like in Latin America or most part of Sub-Saharan Africa. You know, there are still people, uh, uh, not, uh, wired, uh, into this, uh, uh, uh you know, ubiquitous, uh, uh, computing environment. As a matter of fact, I think a couple of years ago, you, United Nations Development Program released a report, you know, in the age of big data, you know, uh, uh, with the ubiquity of a cell phone, it's still a, a fact that we have six billion people now, right? But, but about half of humanities, about three billion people have never ever make a single phone call in their life yet. Wow. So, so that's the reality we have to keep in mind that, uh, yes, big data is useful, but it only reveals uh, patterns or address issues who are actually part of the, you, you know, the computing environment. But there are lots of issues or lots of people are not necessarily wired into this uh, uh, high-tech computing environment. They they don't have a, a broadband internet connection. They don't have a cell phone. And their issues are as uh, urgent and as uh, uh, pressing as uh, more than ever. You know, and we sh- uh, any just the responsible society should not uh, ignore them. You know, we, we, I think I see that as a duty of a social scientist that you, uh, keep that in mind when they work on date, date, big data so that we can find creative ways to, to get those folks in society, whatever they are experiencing reflected in our research and their issues, uh, concerns to get addressed adequately. Absolutely. I I couldn't have said it better, um, which is why I'm talking to you. Uh, So what do you see? I mean, I know you're very involved in various um, types of projects here using big data. What do you see as being sort of the the leading forefront here in in, for social scientists in terms of utilizing big data? I think uh, one one of the major uh, uh, frontier these days is uh, to take advantage of uh, uh, the social media in uh, the data that we can get a hold of from social media in general and the location based social media in particular because I'm a geographer you know I I have to work with the data with a, a spatial uh, um, you know temporal tags um, so that's a, a one uh, area of course another area is all related to the bioinformatics uh, we are talking about available data, you know, uh, as part of the human genome project, you know, the DNA level sequencing data, DNA sequencing data, uh, you know, from their molecular level uh, genetic information, you know, we can do like a 
for for example, the the growth of epigenetics. You know that change that could be a game changer that、uh, could allow us to explain a、uh, uh, lot of things that、uh, we could social scientists that could could not possibly even imagine like a, a decade ago. Now it's all uh, uh, possible again. That loops back your earlier comment that you you know to deal with the, this vast amount of data you know from genetic all the way to the global level and we need、uh, to sharpen、uh, our the research questions we want to ask and also it requires more interdisciplinary uh, 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 collaboration across the domains because many of the、uh, the issues or the challenging questions we are trying. To address, it's、uh, no single discipline can adequately、uh, handle those uh, uh, research questions. It requires,、uh, uh, you know, social scientists, you know, natural scientists,、uh, computer engineers, uh, uh, folks from the humanities work together, you know, to connect the dots. That is why,、uh, coming back to your methodological uh, uh, approach, is question one of the Defining characteristics of this day and age is really、uh, the synthesis. You know, we previously we、um, emphasize a lot on analysis and analytics, but I think we、uh, in the age of big data, it is also very critically important that we connect all the dots. We bring everything together. We develop the coherent narrative. So, in a, from a methodological perspective. Is really to synthesize a vast amount of information to shed new lights on the various、uh, questions related to,、uh, you know, social equity or environmental sustainability. Sounds like fun. So yeah, would, <laughs> just to geek out for a second, this sounds pretty awesome to me. But so, like, for someone maybe. Uh, like me, or even you know, undergrads or grad students who are interested in in using big data. I mean, how would you recommend that they get started? I'm I'm hearing definitely make friends with some computer scientists, right? But、um, but what? How would you how would you go about getting started? Yeah,、uh, I think they can. Actually, it's not that hard.、Um, I'm sure most of your audience are frequent users of.、Uh, Social media, you know, they can、uh, take some notice from their circles of friends. You know, their,、uh, you, you know, to to start paying attention to collect some uh, uh, data, uh, you know, from their own network. And also, the next step, if they want to、uh, grab more、uh, data, they need to uh, learn. Uh, actually, it's not that hard.、Uh-huh. They, they can. Uh, pick up this skill pretty quickly. That uh, uh, to develop their own web crawling、uh, program, you know, to crawl the web to collect the data、uh, themselves、uh, by writing a few uh, API, uh, depending on which particular media or or data they want to harvest, and then、um, they probably need uh, to uh, sharpen their Uh, technical skills uh, to uh, analyze uh, those data, and more importantly, to bring in their,、uh, you, you know, the, the to to bring together to integrate both quantitative and qualitative、uh, 
uh, approaches to develop a coherent analysis and a synthesis of the data they collected and to address their research question, whatever problem domain they may be interested in. Well, I'm encouraged. Yeah. I'm encouraged to hear that. I mean, it sounds yeah. like when you hear big data, you think, "Oh, big, maybe, maybe scary." But, but in this conversation, I'm hearing that actually it may be much more approachable than many yeah. people think. Absolutely, absolutely, because uh, both you and me are uh, big data creators. By the way, 70% of the so-called big data is are created by users through their daily uh, activities. So why not uh, just take advantage of that uh, uh, using the data that we created ourselves? Yeah, power to the people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for this conversation today, Dr. Sui. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. And uh, of course, I hope your audience, uh, more and more of them will uh, uh, take advantage of the, the big data. Uh, that is uh, available and also be aware of their uh, utility and uh, limitations. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. On behalf of me, Kyle Green, and my co-producer, Sarah Logason, thank you for listening. And remember, please give methods a chance.